Let me start off uh, by praying for our, our time together in God's Word. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Son. Thank You for the Holy Spirit that will guide us in these next moments as we open up Genesis 4 and we see what You have for us. Lord, You know our hearts. You know exactly where we are. God, You know uh, where our desires are. You know what sits at the authority of our lives. God, we know, you know which part of our lives we've given you and which parts we're hiding. And Lord, I pray right now that you would expose that, that you would pour out grace on those moments, that you would cover us in the blood of Jesus Christ, that shame, guilt would not exist now. The Lord, only uh, freedom in you as our King, the one that uh, wants to have the seat of authority over our life. We praise you, and we love you, and we're so thankful that we get to do this together as a family right now. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. We love you. Amen. Well, good morning. I have a, uh, a sister that's uh, two years older than I am, uh, and when we were, uh, eight, I was eight or nine, she was ten or eleven, uh, we used to compete a little bit. It wasn't always, like, we weren't always, like, really best friends, uh, and so there's always a time, and in, in that in our young life where we would compete. And so that meant, uh, you know, who got the last cereal or the last cookie, uh, who got to choose the TV show, which, you know, it was like growing pains for her and A-team for me. Um, even to the point of, of, you know, who would who would get to go to bed earliest uh, or, la- or stay up later. But the one thing that we would always compete for is, and maybe you can relate, is who got to ride in the front seat. Yeah. And I remember one day coming out of a store, and my sister was a couple of feet in front of me, and she took off running towards the, the car. And I was like, oh, what is she doing? And so I took off running after her, and I was right on her heels. And as she slammed up against the Honda, I slammed up against her back, and I heard this scream. And little did I know that she was running with a pencil. Yeah, see? There's a big lesson right there. Don't run with pencils. And... It just barely got her skin and broke off just the lead. That's it, just the lead. So it's not that big of a deal, right? Uh, in, into her stomach. And luckily, I think uh, 10 years ago, it finally came out. So there's, that's good. We're living in a world where we're constantly fighting for position. In the world we live in, position is power. And you can see that in the fallen world that we're in, where people will climb on the tops of other people to get on top. You'll manipulate people. You'll push them out of the way. You'll make sure that they're in a worse and they're seen in a worse light than you, just for your own your own gain. And this morning we're going to look at Genesis four, and we're going to see some of that behavior being played out in these two brothers, Cain and Abel. We see these two pictures of one who wants power, and then we see a picture of one who wants to surrender power. The story is one of a righteous man, which the Bible calls uh, Abel, and then one of an evil man, which the Bible calls Cain. Uh, So we're going to dig into that. Uh, When we think about the story, a lot of times we think about good brother, bad brother, good offering, bad offering. Uh, We automatically put some sort of monetary value on what Cain and what Abel is, is bringing to the table. Um, but this morning, I want us to think first about the question, who do you think you relate to most in this story? Cain or Abel? 
And so most of us in here are probably going, Abel, hello, I'm at church right now. It's a dumb question, right? So some of us relate or think we relate more to Cain than we do uh, Abel. Well, there's two things in the story that that's going to bring out the bigger picture of what this story is really all about. There's two brothers that bring two different offerings, and they have two different hearts towards God. We're going to look at the way of Cain, but the big picture that we're going to land on today is that we all need to be redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the first family, right, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the first family, they are wrestling through this. Where's my Redeemer? And what is that going to look like? So we're going to jump into that. Uh, really, today, it's about the way of Cain. The story is a story about um, depravity, and, and it's also about grace. It's about the, just this primal position of power that we all have in our fiber. We all wrestle and struggle with wanting to be in control and wanting to be the more authoritative person, maybe in the room during an office meeting or in the classroom uh, while you're in, in school. Uh, maybe it's in the... Um, grocery aisle and you know what the best uh, preservatives are for your, your groceries, whatever that might be. But we're going to look in Genesis 4, verse 1, it says, Now Adam and Eve, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. This is the first pregnancy, right? I, I don't know how like that, I just blew past that, but I never thought about like how Eve must have been processing this whole thing like adam's made from dust eve is made from the rib of man they're both created by god's hands fully developed and now eve's got something in her belly that's kind of a weird thing for me to process obviously um for some of the ladies it may not be but i'm i'm processing like what is she thinking this baby is going to look like they've never seen a baby before is this baby going to come out fully developed? She says he looks, he call, she calls him, the baby's like, like Adam, like man. Is this baby going to come out fully developed? Is it like add water and it just <laughs> grows? You know, what she must be wrestling through as a, as a mom, having this baby inside of her, inside of her womb. This is a beautiful picture. And like all the mothers in here and the billions of mothers that have had a child, this is the first time that, that, that she has ever experienced the joy of the little Braxton Hicks or the hearing the heartbeat. Adam, put your ear here. Listen. This beautiful picture of, of life. And it starts with the word new, which doesn't always mean, okay, in most ter- terms that it's, a, it's intercourse. But this word new actually means to be as intimate with someone as humanly and spiritually possible. It's a word that we also see that we, that's used throughout the Old Testament as being, as knowing God. This great intimacy. It is an act of, of worship. And why are they worshiping? Because God made a promise. Hey, I want you to go and put a challenge on them. I want you to go and multiply the earth. And so they're relying on the Lord with such intimacy that they are being intimate with one another in such a beautiful way that it's worship. We're being obedient to the God. We're going, we're going to go and multiply the earth by having children. Again, not a lot of us think about uh, that we're new that, that often. In a lot of premarital counseling, we talk about to have intercourse is really an act of worship. It should be an act of worship when our heart is right. And that's where Adam and Eve are. They are relying fully on God. 
They're relying fully on God to fulfill this promise that through the seed of Eve, they're going to send a redeemer that's going to crush the skull of the serpent. So they're just not blowing past like what God said. They're looking at it and saying, well, how do we do this? And I want to worship you, God, and rely fully on you that you will provide that redeemer for us. So there's a baby. And they named that baby Cain, which means here he is, which gives us insight to way, the way that Eve was thinking about this baby. Will this baby be the one that God promised right off the bat? Will this be the one that will redeem us? Here he is. Cain, here he is. Will he be the one that redeems, that reconciles? Again, I'm speculating in Eve's mind, but she just got out of the garden. She must be longing to be back there without sin. Can I get a mulligan? Can I start over? Her heart thinking that if there's a Redeemer that's going to come and, and, and fix what Adam and, and I broke, let that Redeemer come and fulfill the, the great need that I need, that I have in you to be back with you in the garden, God. It's that beautiful picture of Eve being there and, and really desiring to be back to where she was created to be with Adam and to be with God alone. So Eve's thinking that this baby may be the possible redeemer. And then verse 2, it says, And again she bore a brother named Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a keeper of the ground. So you got two brothers here. Abel means breathe. And so as we know, we, don't, we know that uh, Abel's life is short. It's, a, it's, it's nothing but a, but a breath. She doesn't know that, so we're not really sure where she comes from, comes up with the word breath or, or able. But it's this picture of God already setting things up for us to see how great his big meta-narrative story of how he's going to redeem the world will be through sending another son named Abel. So there's two boys. And again, Eve is thinking, well, maybe this one, this one will be the redeemer. What Eve doesn't understand and what we do understand on this side of the New Testament is that the virgin birth is a very important part of this story. Eve doesn't think that. Eve thinks it's going to be through her seed, but it's the virgin birth. God will conceive a child in a virgin. And so the importance of Mary not being intimate with another man and two people creating the, the Redeemer, that wouldn't exist. It would be Jesus was just as sinful as us, but it was a virgin. And God, the Father, through the Holy Spirit, that conceives a child into her womb. And so it's fully man and fully God that will come and be the Redeemer, the one that we will all look to. And so that's a huge part. It's kind of a step away. But as Eve's processing and thinking through this, as her son, will it be her physical son? Will it be even in her, her lifetime? So in Genesis Four three, and we see in the same course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but Cain, but for Cain his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So we know that Cain uh, is just like his dad; he works the soil. We know that Abel. He goes and he's worker of the, the animals. Two very important jobs, very respectable jobs for survival for this whole family to continue. And now they're bringing these offerings. Two different men from two different hearts that are coming to the Lord with two different offerings. Again, 
you have to, in the, in the Genesis story, in the, in the narrative here, we're, we don't have all the, the pictures except for what we can read into the story a little bit. So I want you to think with me through, if you're a mother and a father and you have these two boys, you're probably going to tell them stories. So the question is, how did Cain and Abel come to the point of even that they should even bring an offering to the Lord? Right? So Adam and Eve, mom and dad, sitting down with their children, telling the story of how they were created. Telling the story of once we were in this place, this garden, and it was perfect, and it was beautiful, and these trees had fruit, and there's enough food for all of us. And God came and told us not to eat from this one. So they're telling the story back to their sons. And mommy and daddy made a mistake. A serpent came along and said that it wouldn't kill us. So we believed the serpent and, and not God. And we ate of the fruit, and immediately we were afraid Immediately we were ashamed. Immediately we were scared and we heard God come in and we hid from the presence of God. Mom and dad are telling the story to their, to their sons. And God shows up on the scene and he sacrifices an animal. And he clothes mom and dad in these garments made of animal's clothing, animal skin, to protect us so that we wouldn't have to be ashamed any longer. It's this beautiful picture of what we're about to see here is why would Adam and why would Cain and Abel even take an offering to God? Well, they've heard the story from their mom and dad. And since then, the grace that God poured out on Adam and Eve in the garden when they were clothed was a foreshadowing of how Jesus was going to clothe them with, clothe them with his blood, clothe him with righteousness. And so as they have gone through, they have brought offerings to the Lord, offerings of thanksgiving. Genesis, that first phrase right there, in the course of time, means that this was a scheduled event. This was something that happened. This wasn't just a happenstance, let's just do this every once in a while. This is something that's actually happening on a schedule. And so we know that they bring this, this offering to them. And Abel, he brings an animal. He brings an animal similar to the story that he's heard from mom and dad. He brings the animal and brings the fat portion. He brings the firstborn, the best of the best. And he brings it before God. He says, here's, here's my offering. And the fat portions that go along with this beast, this animal. God, this is your animal. You created this animal. And I want to say thank you for allowing me to tend to this animal. Thank you for the grace that you poured out on my family. Thank you for the grace you're pouring out on me. I love you, God. Here's my offering. And Cain comes... And it doesn't say a whole lot about his offering except for that he brings fruit. It doesn't say the first fruit. It doesn't say a big bundle. It doesn't say much about it. And inside the, the, the word that, that's there in offering actually means a thanks offering. And inside the expectations of that would have been animals or wheat or fruit. But Cain brings it. And it's kind of like this attitude of like, hey, look what I did. Look what I've done. Look what I've made. We know because of the New Testament that that Cain's heart was evil. And so we can tag that to what's happening right here in this story. His heart is evil. His desire is evil. He's giving this offering because he wants gain. He wants something out of it. So you have two different offerings from two different guys with two different hearts. And then the shift kind of focuses on Cain. Why do you think the shift then kind of goes to Cain? Well, I think that every reader from this point forward would be like Cain. 
John 3.19, it reminds us that men would be more attracted to darkness than light. Because sin is inherently in us. Cain also represents in the story that he represents the doomed. Those that are unrepentant. Those that see and know and hear God, but yet turn away and leave the presence of the Lord. Why does Cain get angry and his face fall? Because position is power. He sees that he has lost position here. Isaiah, as you read through the whole book of Isaiah, you start seeing where God sits on the throne. It says that God sits on the throne of righteousness, on the throne of judgment, on the throne of David, on the throne of the circles of the earth. God has made it known that through his word, he will be the authority of all, of all time and of all people. But Cain doesn't want God to be that authority. Cain wants his own. He wants to be man-made, self-made. Look what I've done. Look at my offering to you. And so Cain, once God doesn't show regard, he becomes angry. He turns bitter. I think this is the exact same character that he adopted from his mom and dad in the garden. God, I hear you, but this guy is telling me that it's good and I should eat of it and it won't kill me. Your word is not good enough for me. I'm going to go and do my own thing. I'm going to be man-made. I'm going to be self-made. But luckily, when Cain and when uh, Adam and Eve are approached by God in the garden, there's remorse. There's sorrow. With Cain here, there is none. So it jumps straight into the next the next part of the, the text where it says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. We know that Cain is jealous of his brother here because Abel is, is a, righteous, a righteous brother. He's a righteous son. He hears the stories and he responds. Hey, I want to do and I want to please God. My parents are telling me to do these things because they want to have a heart to worship God. My brother is jealous. We've all been around like super righteous people and it kind of ticks us off a little bit. Right? You're like, oh man, go get the two shoes there. There's something inside of us that thinks, oh man, that's just... Cranks me the wrong way sometimes. And that's a natural response, I think, because of the sin that lives inside of us. But the righteous Abel isn't the one that we're relying on to come and redeem. Tim Keller says this. He said, Jesus, Jesus is the true and better Abel, who was innocently slain. His blood cries out, not for condemnation, but for acquittal. So as Abel is being killed, and we don't know any details of how that happens. We know that there's blood on his hands, so it must have been pretty brutal. And as Abel is being killed, the, the anger that's inside, that's stored up inside of Cain is just swelling. But then God approaches him. But first of all, let me, this is, this is the, the, the heart of someone that's been consumed by sin. They walk around in darkness with the constant fear of death. And when they feel backed up against the wall, then they will attack. They will kill. 
one that's been consumed by God, we read in Romans 6, 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Someone that's being consumed by God means that we are free from the eternal consequence of sin. And that is a beautiful picture that we get to see and recognize here in this story. Instead of power and authority and gain, if Cain would have had a different heart, if he would have desired to worship God instead of power, instead of authority, instead of gain, if he would have been God saying, God, I want you to be in that, that seat of authority over my life. He offers this, this, this grace. He says, if you do well, if you do well, right? I can redeem this whole thing, Cain. If you do well, if you look to me, then I can redeem all of this. But if you do not, then sin is crouching outside that door. Sin is going to come and it is going to consume you. It is going to take you into the depths of darkness. And if your anger it controls the next move of your life, then you're going to step outside that door. And sin is going to be like a lion, like a, uh, a leopard, like a panther that's prowling, that's going to leap on you. And it's, it's small at the beginning, but once you walk out the door, it's going to consume you to death. James 1 tells us that then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. The same word that it says that it is, that it is desiring you is the same words, the direct quote from Genesis 3.16, the same word as a woman will desire to rule over her husband. And without Jesus in the marriage and right smack dab in the middle of both hearts and the marriage, then that will be a constant fight for authority of who's going to be the authority position in your, your marriage. It's the same Language here is who's going to rule over you? And I think it's the question that we have to ask ourselves is who is ruling over our hearts? Who has the authority of our hearts? As we make decisions, as we walk day in and day out, how are we processing? How are we making decisions? Hebrews eleven fourteen says, By faith, Abel, Abel offered a good and more acceptable sacrifice as Cain, through which he was condemned as righteous. God condemning him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And, a, and Cain responded like this in 1 John 3.12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, a murderer, a murderer of his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. They received that battle of of competition. Verse 9 in Genesis uh, 4 says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? So we're going to move on through the story. Cain has now killed his brother Abel. The Lord comes and he says, Where is your brother Abel? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? This is a very similar question that God asked Adam in the garden. Where are you? 
Adam steps out and tells the truth. Hey, I was naked and ashamed. I was afraid. But Cain here, he just flat out lies. How the sin has has begun to begun to multiply, begin to grow. It's kind of one of those moments where you're in the in the story and you're, you just want to reach into the story and grab Cain and say, "Wake up, man! Wake up! You are in a dialogue. You're in a conversation with God, and now you're lying. You're flat out lying to Him. And without remorse, God thunders these words: What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying, crying out to me from the ground. Abel's voice will not be silenced by physical death. His blood will continue to cry out. And it will cry out for mercy. It will cry out for justice. Cain thought he could get away with murder by telling a lie. But the, the voice of his brother, the one that he has killed, is now crying out to the father. And it's saying someone has to die for this. And thousands of years later, the blood of Jesus Christ will be poured out and it will scream out, I have, I have died for this very moment, for this very thing. Because Jesus is the true and better Abel in this story. This story isn't about Cain. And it's not about Abel. It's not about me and you and comparing ourselves to which one we're more like. The story is about the Redeemer that God promised Adam and Eve. And with great hope, they're waiting for this Redeemer to come and to rescue them. The story is about Jesus coming and crushing the head of the serpent. And that's why we come today and we, we take communion and we take, come to the Lord's Supper. is because it is a beautiful reminder that God sent His Son to come and be the atonement. His blood screams atonement. Deserve death, we do. But an innocent, an innocent lamb went to the slaughter for us on our behalf so that we could have freedom in Him for eternal life. It's not about what we do. It's not about what our offerings are as we bring it to the table. It's about our heart and how we look at God. And how we say, God, this is everything. I want to surrender everything to you. I want to surrender my kids. I want to surrender my job. I want to surrender my issues, my struggle, my fears. I want to surrender everything. I want to give it to you, God. Not an offering of, hey, look what I'm bringing. Look what I'm bringing to you, God. Are you proud of me? Will you pat me on the back? Will you give me something? Am I storing up something? That's not the position. Abel is here to offer his whole heart to the Father. And Cain is here to offer, hey, what can I gain from this relationship? So in this story, we have to be reminded that we were once just like Cain. We were once cursed, hostile to God, an alien. And he came and he sent his son so that we may have life and to be that atonement so that we could not feel the wrath of God, but feel the freedom in Christ. Abel is, a, is the first martyr and it's a foreshadowing of Jesus whose blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel because Jesus is the true and better Abel. Abel's innocent blood cried out for justice against sin. Jesus' innocent blood cries out for mercy for all sinners. Abel's blood exposed Cain for his wretchedness. Jesus' blood covers our wretchedness and cleanses us from all sin. 
Through faith, we've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. And we've been called adopted sons and daughters. And now we present our lives as an act of worship. As a sacrifice to God. And the only way that 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 can be a pleasing offering to God is that if we believe and we have faith that His Son died on our behalf because we are wretched men and women. And we need a Savior. We need to be redeemed. And if we want to offer up our acts of service and our acts of worship to, to the Lord, it has to be based off the premise that God has done everything. We have done nothing. And that is the good news of Genesis 4. And that's what brings us back to the truth. This is all about Jesus. Not about Cain. Not about Abel. Not about me. Not about you. But about our Savior and our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful. God, we're thankful for redemption. God, we're thankful for the way that you have cared for For Abel, for Adam, for Eve, and as they birth a new son, Seth, and through his bloodline, the seed of Christ would come. The Redeemer would come, and, and we would celebrate that thousands of years later as Jesus goes into Jerusalem and places himself on the cross for the behalf of all sinners. For those that have faith, trust, and believe that he is the Messiah. God, thank you for the whole of Scripture and how it all points to your Son. And God, I pray that you would continue to expose us to that, that you continue to enlighten us and continue to draw us near to the cross. God, I pray you to expose sin in our own lives and that we'd be quick to not be like Cain and be stubborn and leave you, but be more like Abel and just say, I need you. God, I need to be redeemed. I need a Savior. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, Lord, this is all about you, what you have done. And we're so thankful for that. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.